Hello, and welcome to another edition of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, right here alongside none other than John Tesh. John, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited about today's podcast. We're going to solve a lot of problems for, yeah. for me, for you, for people who are listening. We are going to talk about all kinds of things, including, as an attorney would say, including but not limited to uh, three tips to make it easier to make a decision, uh, what singles are looking for on their on their dating apps, the most productive hours of the day, uh, fix for depression, uh, and how to use your grandparents to fix your depression. All that and more coming up in a second here. But first, I want to, first of all, thank you guys for listening. And second of all, let you guys know that if you would like to see us live, we do a lot of shtick very similar to the podcast. You can check it out at teshmusic.com. We are coming to a city near you in the very near future. So go ahead there and you can find out where we're going to be and how to get tickets. Also, if you would like to follow up with us, we are online all the time. Facebook.com slash John Tesh. For John, uh, at John Tesh on Twitter, at John Tesh underscore IFYL on Instagram, or myself, Gib Gerard, Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard, at Gib Gerard on Twitter, and of course, at Gib Gerard on Instagram. So follow us in all of those places uh, because we want to talk to you and you can let us know who you want to see on the podcast, who you want to hear from, and what sort of stories you would like us to talk about. But first... We have in the studio you, John Tesh. Yes, thank you. Uh, and I think you did that uh, very, very well. I, I, I know all the ways to reach you now. Yeah, or I could yeah. just yell down the hall. Yes, of course. Well, that works that too. Way. Yeah. Should we? Uh, should we get going here? Absolutely. Uh, we're talking about de- uh, decisions, how to make a tough decision, and uh, I love this first tip because uh, <laughs> I've been married to this for uh, the last uh, almost twenty-seven years. If you need to make a tough decision, uh, three tips. First is ask your polar opposite. And, and yes. your mother is definitely yes. my polar opposite. Not right. only is she brunette to your blonde, right. she's uh, female to your male, she's slightly shorter than you, <laughs> and then she's under six feet, you're well over six feet. All kinds of superficial ways you guys are So opposite. ask somebody who never agrees with you what they think <laughs> about a situation, or somebody who needs a completely different kind of life, leads a different kind of life. Psychologist Dr. David Niven says it'll help you see things from a different point of view. And uh, I think that's fair. I, they also say ask somebody, and this is sort of a metaphor for what I just said, but uh, ask somebody with purple hair. So you would ask uh, Jazzy. Your, uh, your Yeah, but, you know, I'm... I, I, yeah. Yes, so purple hair maybe for me. but Jazz, And Jazzy does have purple hair, but we also both have similar taste in tattoos. We like a lot of the same, you know... Okay, like, so, the, so your wife would ask Jazzy. Yes, that's yeah, more okay. accurate. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, a better, yeah. that's a better fit. But yeah, it's finding somebody who has a completely different... Because the, the important... We live right now in a time... With so many echo chambers, all we all we are on Facebook is reading stuff that uh, from people we agree with and commenting about things we agree with. We, we've we've cloistered ourselves into these factions, and nothing will break up the sort of mental ruts that we get ourselves into, like talking to somebody who's a complete polar opposite. Absolutely, that's that's number one. Is talk to somebody, ask your polar opposite what they think about somebody, something when you're trying to make a tough decision. Number two, close your eyes. Now, listen, Eugene Caruso is a behavioral psychologist. He says, blocking out visual stimuli intensifies your emotional response to a decision and makes you behave more ethically, especially now when visual stimuli is a lot so different much. now than it yeah. was when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're inundated with noise and sig- we're just We have signal constantly. So anytime you can, clo- you can close off some of that signal and allow your brain to really focus on something, that is definitely going to be, to be beneficial. Just don't do that while you're driving. Uh, and then here, then number three is so number one, ask your polar opposite. Number two, close your eyes when you're trying to make a, a different, a, a difficult decision. Number three, drink a bunch of water. And and you're not going to figure out where I'm going here, but marketing professor Miriam Tuck says it sounds strange, but people have more self control when they're actually holding their urine. So 
So the, all the brain activity of holding your urine, right, is going to make you think more uh, seriously about you're not going to you're not going to make a snap judgment. I, I would. I would want to place the order on Amazon before I got to the bathroom. Well, I feel like that. I, mean, I wonder. I wonder why that is. I wonder if it's because like you're connect. It's it's like um, tapping into your vagus nerve. Like you're, you're you're so you're dealing with something so primal, so visceral, like so body oriented that your brain is completely rewired to not think about the superficial. So you you get this primal this primal mode, and that makes you a better decision maker. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Or do you think it's because you are focusing so much on controlling your bladder, your brain is already shifted into into self-control gear? Well, and I'm saying yes to both of these because I think it depends on who you are, right? Uh, I, I, you know, anything that that, that that hijacks my mind, and it could be just a, you know, a full bladder, is going to make me make a, make a better... <laughs> Hijack decision. your mind with a full bladder. News at 11. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. These are good, really, really good tips. And right. if you use any of these tips... Let us know on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash John Tesh, or, or uh, uh, Gib Gerard, at Gib Gerard on Twitter. Let us know how you use these, and uh, just don't show us a picture of you. No, holding your yeah, we, we don't need to see. We've seen the potty dance enough times <laughs> between the two of us. All right, so, uh, so next bit of intel here that, uh, that we want to uh, get your opinion on is it's dating intelligence. And, you know, I, I used to think that, uh, you know, Betsy Chase, who, uh, who was our, our lead researcher and mm-hmm. who is the, uh, the content executive producer on the show, Whenever she would put all these dating pieces in there, I used to think, are we, do- are we doing t- too many dating pieces? And then when we meet people in concert, you know, our audience, a lot of people over 35 years old are dating. Well, look, d- dating has changed over the last 40 years. I mean, in, in, in huge ways. You're, people are getting married later, so they, no longer, they don't meet in school as much as they used to. They meet in, these, in other places, and not everybody wants to go to singles bars every weekend. Eventually, that's not necessarily the pathway to, to a, a healthy relationship is meeting in a singles bar. So we have these new ways of meeting each other, and, and how you utilize them says a lot about who you are and who you're going to meet. So we like to provide you. I think it's good that we provide information with how to do that. Yeah, and it's certainly much different than, I mean, back in the day, I can't even imagine trying to date in Los Angeles when I was dating in the in the in the seventies, right? Because you don't. There's just no way to meet anybody. I mean, people I, run into each other with their cars. That's, that's what they yeah, do. They, I, I, that person's attractive. I'm going to hit them. We have to exchange information. <laughs> and at, at worst case scenario, I date their insurance agent. All right. So one of the uh, I, I I haven't dated in, in decades, but one of the ways um, the people are dating, of course, is using is using Tinder. Yeah. And so the University of uh, North Texas, they found that Tinder users in particular, and there are many other different apps for dating, of course, uh, they tend to have lower self-esteem than non-users. The problem arises uh, with anything that makes us feel we're being evaluated solely on appearance. So, uh, because Tinder, I mean, just for people, who, the five people who don't know, it's swipe, right? It's, it's swipe, swipe based on pictures. So you see somebody's picture and you can, you can get more information and read their little caption, but also see more of their pictures, or you can just make a snap judgment. But it is, it is a snap judgment based app. It is designed to just get, you, you get through a lot of people that way. I have, I have seen people do it. It is a lot of just swiping right or swiping left, depending on who, on who you like. Yeah. And, uh, and, and because of that, even if you're a very good looking person, you don't get swiped on all the time, you know, because it's just it's just a matter of preference, and it is so. It feels like a, like a Roman emperor deciding which gladiator. That's is exactly die. what it is, right? Right. Yeah. So we, 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 a little we, more at stake, but 
Is there more at stake? <laughs> I believe the gladiators who are going to die. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Oh, oh that's yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. I thought you think anyway. Yeah. Uh, the so the, the the because of that you you get you get rejected a lot. Plus with uh, with all of the interactions that you have, you again you face a lot of rejection and that hurts your that hurts your self esteem. I get that. Okay, so biological anthropologist Helen Fisher says. After swiping on 10 people, the brain starts to go into cognitive overload, yep. and you're less likely to choose anybody. Dr. Fisher likens it to what she says is a famous psychological jam exper- uh, experiment. We're talking oh. about the food jam, okay? Uh, it found that grocery shoppers were more likely to make a purchase when they only had six jam options rather than 20, which speaks to my experience with I, – I used to live next to a Lenny's Haagen-Dazs store, uh-huh. right? and, and it was chocolate, vanilla – coffee and strawberry that was it and then once it got bought by a big conglomerate there's so many flavors i just i'm just gonna go get some gelato instead or same thing with snapple right too many flavors too too many flavors i think there was that book that came out a few years ago called the tyranny of choice that was all about how how people stopped focusing on a couple i i I can't what faced with too many choices you'll make none right but what what more than six jams can you even name i mean like strawberry grape and then i said raspberry and then I start to run out boysenberry. Yeah, sure. Boysenberry. But, and then there's also, uh, I think they, they marmalade. Mixed, mixed, mixed olive oil in there or something like that. Oh. Uh, and, then it's, and then there's, uh, you know, calorie-free. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, all right. Yeah. So you can do, like, sugar variants and all that stuff. That makes sense. But I just, I'm just thinking, I can only think of, really, strawberry and grape is the only thing I see very often, sometimes raspberry. The other thing that I've seen with... Um, with but we're also equating human beings right now to jam, and that's the problem with Tinder, right? It makes you see people like that as commodities. That's really a good point. And you know, we had a piece, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago uh, that you and I were working on together where they found out that, um, that a lot of people, maybe even the 30 to 35% of people who are on Tinder are, are, are not single anymore. They're just using it to see to to get like a rush of dopamine to feel attractive, and also to sort of put a fishing line in the wa- in the water to see what's out there to think, ah, eh, maybe I should get back in the dating pool, or maybe I shouldn't. And they and they put the they put the hook. What out is, there. speaking of the fishing uh, scenario, what what is what exactly is catfishing when it comes to dating? Oh, catfishing is a term uh, because there was a movie called Catfish about about just this. It's where you pretend to be somebody else online in order to get attention. So maybe you are forty two and you have pictures of a 21-year-old niece and you pretend to be a 21-year-old female and try to date 20-year-old guys, but then when you actually meet the person and they find out that there's a 20-year discrepancy between who you claim to be online and who you actually are, you run into some problems. They've been, they've been catfished. Yeah. So, but what if you use an, uh, like a 20-year picture of yourself? Is that still catfishing? Well, the, the thing about a 20-year... different person. Yeah, it, it's, it's, well, yeah, yeah, it is still considered catfishing, but also you can tell when it's a 20 year old picture of somebody like the, mm-hmm. the styles, mm-hmm. even everything, even though everything's cyclical, you can tell that it's an old picture. Like uh, nobody's rocking the, well, I shouldn't say that. I was about to say nobody's rocking a mullet and a mustache anymore. But actually if you go to any hipster bar in, in Los Angeles right now, a, a half the guys have a, have a mullet and a mustache. So I shouldn't wow. say that. But, yeah. but the point being like you, you can tell from, from uh, other clues, other visual clues that it, it's an old picture as opposed to a picture of somebody. Yeah, else. one of the clues apparently is uh, if if it's a white background, it might be a, somebody else's publicity photo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and here's Learn we, just we just figure. I'll, I'll I'll figure it out when I get there or when she shows up. He shows. Well, up. I think people. I think what happens is with the the way the catfishing. I think the way people see it going is. 
okay, we are, I, we're going to meet somewhere. People have already invested. It's the sunk cost phenomenon. They've already invested all this time and effort to get there. If you're not quite what, you anticip- what the person anticipated, they go, ah, I'm here anyway. Let's get to talking. And maybe your personality is dynamic, and you had to pretend to be somebody else just to get them in the door. I got it. May, I, I, I think it. in the best case scenario, giving them all the benefit of the doubt, that's what catfishing, that's what catfishers are doing. Uh, worst case scenario is they're just trying to lure you to your death. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I get well, it. Look, it happens. It. All right. Moving on. Uh, we're going to talk about something that we've, uh, gosh, I don't know how many books given I have read on this, but the, the question is, uh, what are the most productive hours of the day? This is from psychologist Dr. Josh Davis. Um, he says that the most productive people like somebody like Tim Cook. He starts his work day at 345 in the Got morning. Uh, but uh, Dr. Cook, uh, Dr. Davis rather, says uh, between 4 and 6 a.m., it's the most productive hours of the day. Because, Absolutely. I, I mean, the first reason is pretty obvious. It allows you to get things done before the rest of the world even opens their eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's harder for us in Los Angeles because 4 o'clock is still... 7 a.m. Yeah, on the East I mean, Coast. Yeah, I'm out, I'm out in, the, in the gym. A lot of times it's you know, 5 o'clock in the morning, and I'm still getting texts from people on the Because right, it's 8 a.m. there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it saves them from spending, even wasting time watching TV or trolling Facebook, reading snacks. Yeah. Now, what do you do, and a lot of people who are watching this have, have kids... What's the what do you, what do you do you and your wife like take take turns getting up at five o'clock in the morning if you want to work out what do you do well for working out it, it, it we do we try to take turns but I usually it's usually a uh, uh, a game of of chicken like whoever gets up and gets going first gets to gets to take the day oh, unless wow. one person specifically signs up for a class or something so if she's got like a Pilates class I have to acquiesce and then I. I make a big show of it and make her feel bad about it for like the next few oh, days. So that I get, I get, I get some, re- some more time in the morning. Uh, but the other, th- you, you can just get up and, and start your work. But the amazing thing, like you said about it, is that you get that time without any distraction. Like for us with the kids, it's uh, sometimes we'll get up and have coffee together and use that as our, as our date time because the kids aren't up yet. And it's, it's, it's pre-planned time that you can just have, have together. Uh, without without kids in your face, but also you know emails is a great thing, which which also brings me to the idea that you should be batching your emails. If you're not batching your emails, you should. That's where you have specific times in the day where you respond to email. Right. And the tendency is when you first wake up to do your email, you should avoid that, and you can avoid that by getting up extra early and having that time set aside. So if you want to be a writer, that's a great time to get writing done. If you're a CEO and you're starting a business, it's a great time to do a lot of the legwork that you have to do. And you can also have your emails set to go out later in the day. So maybe you're working from four to six, but you can also time all of your emails. There's a bunch of email services that'll let you have, have it hit everybody else's inbox at their 9 a.m. That way you are at your most productive without getting responses at the time. And you're just, you're just, you're getting stuff into your outbox and you're, and you're finishing your day. So we ran into at the cryogenic center, we ran into Mark Wahlberg yep. and you're a big fan, big of, fan. Of, of, of also of the, of the rock. Yep. So these guys famously get up really, really early. Club. Well, the Rock is in the is in the in the gym like four or four thirty, right? Right. But Wahlberg and and he was on the when he was promoting a film and he's always got something out. Mile twenty two, really nice guy too. He uh, he gets up at three thirty every morning. Yeah, and and eats like I don't know, five or six times a day. Right. But uh, do you think these guys are are are, are powering through till eight o'clock at night? Do you think they're taking a nap? Because I don't think I could make it at three thirty. Well, I mean, he goes to bed. Except he he went through his whole schedule. Here, here's the deal. Here's the great thing about getting up early versus staying up late. 
I am unbelievably unproductive and tired late at night. And what I usually spend my time doing is eating food I shouldn't eat and watching television. And not that I have anything against television. I absolutely love television. Uh, but it's not my most productive time. So why not, why not convince myself to go to bed when, around when my kids go to bed? Why wouldn't I go to bed at 8 or 9 o'clock? I'm not missing anything, generally speaking. Uh, so why not go to bed at that, at that time and get up extra early and get that time back, claim it back from, from the time that I'm literally wasting in the evenings? Um, and I think that's I think that's what the Wahlberg mindset and the Rock mindset are. And the Rock, the Rock doesn't care. The Rock, you know, <laughs> the Rock just gets up, even if he's been doing promotional events until one a.m. the night before. He's up at three o'clock in the morning, hitting the gym because yeah. that's that's the number one thing. And the the other thing about um, about Wahlberg is he wants to be a, a a dad to his kids, so he he does the workout in the morning, has breakfast takes his kids to school, then he does his cryo stuff, and then he's got meetings through lunch, and then he picks his kids up. He's, he's got a whole day before he even has to take his kids to school, right. which, which right. right there gives you a sense of, of what the mindset can do for you. Because for me, a lot of times it's all I can do to just drag myself in my pajamas to get my kids to school. So yeah. when you change the mindset, yeah. you change your, the way your whole day goes. Yeah, I like it. You know, and um, I, I was reading something the other day. I was probably one of those YouTube videos I was listening to because there are so many days when I'm just like, why, why am I getting up? Why am I, I, I this is, I could just work out maybe in a house or something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it, the tip was, e- even if you're exhausted, just get there and right. go through the motions. Right. Because what that does is it sends the message to your brain that you could, that you got that accomplishment. So there are some days I'll work out for 45, 50 minutes, which is a, a good time for me, an exhausting time for me. Other times I show up and it's just, it's just 15 minutes. But I don't let anybody in the gym see me leave. I sort of skulk out because they know me. <laughs> you know, oh, just 15 minutes today? Exactly. If you work exactly. at the front counter at a gym, don't do that. Oh, oh, quick workout today, huh? Are you busy or no, something? They all say goodbye to me. <laughs> Bye, John. I'm like, oh, uh, goodness. there's no other way out. Hey, let's talk about, because um, uh, since we're sort of on the topic, let's talk about uh, weight loss, weight management. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, when I first saw this piece, I thought, gosh, is this just too obvious? But, but a lot of times the most obvious stuff is, is, right. is, is the best stuff. Like, get up early yeah. and you'll get more done. Uh, so the International Journal of Behavioral Nutrition and Physical Activity just released a study, and they said the number one way to lose weight or to manage the weight that you have on uh, is to cook at home more often. Of course. They analyzed, the researchers did data from more than 11,000 people and they found that I uh, got lost. Left. They found that those who ate more than five home cooked meals per week, right, were twenty eight percent less likely to be overweight than people who ate three home cooked meals. So it shows that just two more home cooked meals a week can make a huge difference. Oh, look, it's it's a couple of things. One is it sends a great message to your kids. Oh, it, yeah. how many times have we done pieces on the show on any of our shows about the importance of a family meal once a day for for reorienting a family? In, in getting your kids to open up about school and how well they perform in school when you have a family meal every week. Or, I mean, a- every day. That's, that's, that's super important. But the other thing is you know what's going into your food when you're cooking. And there's no fillers. You're just, you know, you, and you're only going to eat the things that you're setting out to eat. There's, there's so many things that get put into processed food that, that, trick us into, um, that trick us into thinking that we're full and that are actually just empty calories that are not actually good for us. So when you're cooking at home, you're not going to put in that extra bit of lard or, or an extra bit of, of starch filler because you are cooking. You're, you're not going to do that. Plus, it's cheaper. You'll, you'll save money. And you also, uh, your, your portions are going to be a little bit smaller. You have full control of your portions. Restaurant portions have gotten out of control. They're disproportionate. 
There's also stuff in there. There's a lot. I mean, uh, listen. There's a lot of butter, a lot of olive oil. I mean, because they, they want it to taste great. You know, yeah, obviously. I have to tell you that you know I've had encouragement from you and also from Connie to uh, to be more ketogenic, and mm-hmm. I've really been working on this. And, and and Connie will tell you that that for the last it's like 10, 12 days. Last twelve days, I've been doing this, and that is, I am finally eating. I'm sure my breath is terrible right now, but I'm, I am now eating in a four hour window. Which is it's called intermittent fasting yeah. for those of you that don't know. So so I I am fasting for twenty hours a day, and it was brutal for a while, but mm-hmm. I've really gotten used to it. But the way I've been able to get used to it and taking your direction on this is that I have some extra virgin, some really good olive oil, right? We got it from Queen Creek, mm-hmm. and uh, and I take a you know maybe four or five shots or half shots because there's a lot of calories in there. Mm-hmm. Four or five half shots a day if I start feeling like I'm wanting down. But my workouts and my energy is incredible. And then at about I know some, it depends on what that four-hour window is. Sometimes it's 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. Sometimes it's 8 o'clock at night, but mostly six, five or 6 o'clock. I eat like I eat as much as I can I right. eat. I, st- I can't eat enough right. to, uh, to, to gain weight. Right. Well, and, and, and not only that, you become adapted to, to using the, the ketones, the, the body. The energy that happens when you burn fat uh, is something called a ketone, and your body gets used to using that for fuel when you fast for for uh, intermittent periods of time, like you're saying, for 20 hours off uh, and then four hours on. So it, it, it is a great way of, if you were interested in the ketogenic diet, we just did a podcast with a guy that creates, um, uh, Frank uh, uh, Yosa, he creates ketone esters, and, and we, got, we get into the science of, of ketones in that podcast last so you check that out. But uh, yeah, you, you really help yourself with uh, with with fasting over a period of time. And you'll be amazed what ketones do for your brain. I find that oh when, I'm, gosh, when I'm fasting, yeah. I, there's a, a certain amount of mental acuity. And again, I don't know if that's because my brain goes into a very primal mode of a, a fight or flight mode and it makes it just clears, clarifies my thinking. But I find that, that when I'm fasting, it really does a lot for that. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of us talking about, uh, about ketones and about fasting and intermittent fasting on the uh, on several podcasts, um, and so you, it, it would be great if you if you check it out. And we're always posting things on our Facebook page mm-hmm. um, as well. Uh, you know, when you first brought this, here's something completely different. When you first uh, brought this to me, I'm like, "How is this? Is this a thing?" And and you said you had seen the story before, which I had I had not. So the most expensive coffee beans. Oh yeah, right. Yes, they come from uh, monkeys. Yep. That have chewed them up and spit them out. Yep. So this is real. Uh, and I actually looked this up online. I said, I can't even. There's all these studies on this. On the island of Taiwan, coffee farmers used to chase monkeys away because they destroyed the crops until they discovered that when the monkeys sucked on the coffee cherries and spit out the pits or the beans, right? It gave the coffee a distinct vanilla flavor. Uh-huh. Now they charge $600 a pound for beans the monkeys have sucked on and then spit out. Look. This sounds dangerous. We have talked a lot about, I will try anything once. Uh-huh. And so this, uh, this it, it, ta- it sounds absolutely disgusting. It sounds as disgusting as having a shot of olive oil in the middle of the day, <laughs> right? Just about. Um, uh, but you're, the beans are, are still roasted, so they, you know, they, you're killing any bacteria that might no, be there. Okay. But the enzymes monkey do bacteria. change the flavor profile. Right, but monkey bacteria, this is how, this is like the beginning of another, you know, outbreak movie where it, people are, are drinking these, or drinking this coffee and all of a sudden they get some new form of Ebola. But anyway, the, uh, <laughs> I digress. Enjoy, folks. I digress. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it, 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 seeds are, most of the seeds on our planet are, uh, are designed over time to respond to the 
the animals that would, in fact, eat them. In fact, there are plenty of seeds that only germinate after they've passed through certain species of birds. So it, it's a part of it's a part of the natural order of things that 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 plants change when animals come into contact with them. And it is so it would make sense that these that these coffee beans would change their would change their chemical makeup because they've been they've reacted to the saliva of this. I know it sounds gross. Saliva of these monkeys. I, I want to try it. I really do. It's worth trying yeah. at least once. It's, it's I like vanilla bean. It's not <laughs> worth. Look, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't make it my daily brew. Right, six hundred dollars a pound. It's not something you're going to have every single day. Mm-hmm. But it is one of those things that you want to say, "Hey, I tried it. I get it. It's good." Uh, and that, and I'm done. Yeah. Well, speaking of coffee, I love this because part of the reason I'm on the keto diet is as I'm trying to get all the inflammation in my body. I've got like a I got like arthritis in my ankle from breaking it so many times, and and I got on the other side of a cancer battle, and that's all about inflammation. Can I just say when he talks about his ankle, and yes, the cancer battle is great, and we're on the other side of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, the yeah. the inflammation <laughs> in the ankle, what what you guys need to know is, uh, I'm used to seeing it. I'm used to seeing him wear a brace all the time, even underneath a suit. I'm used to seeing what his ankle looks like out of a shoe, which is also nauseating, almost as nauseating as a shot of olive oil and coffee that's been chewed up by a monkey. Uh, but what is amazing is if we're ever near an orthopedic doctor oh, yeah. and they get one look at your lower extremities mm-hmm. and they, all they see are dollar signs and publishing in medical journals. All they see is like, give me a chance to fix that ankle because it looks so like they, they want to be able to publish well, in the New England Journal of it's Medicine. It's actually off. So, so here's, here, here's, here's your feet, right? And here's, and here's the uh, bone, whatever that is, femur. It goes in there like that. My ankle is off to the side. It is here because it's because it's been it's been broken and torn off, so it's off to the side. If we're like body this. surfing in the ocean and we get out of the ocean, lifeguards come rushing, thinking you've accidentally <laughs> broken your ankle while we were in the water. It is amazing. But I've healed. I've healed it with prayer. <laughs> and it's and it's fine. Come on. I you know I saw the New York Marathon uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. um, and it was weeks ago in the podcast. But uh, I I really want. I wanted to sort of prove. That I that I could do it one more time. So, are you in with me if I try it? Of course, I, I love running marathons. I think that I think the training might. Uh, I mean, you, well, well, yeah, I will definitely do it one more time with you. All right, let's talk uh, about. You uh, come coffee. We're talking about coffee and I, uh, and, and inflammation. So, listen to this. This is according to Stanford University School of Medicine. Uh, so, uh, coffee may may slow down the biological aging process. This is a huge story because. Most of us tend to develop inflammation in our, t- our tissues, veins, and arteries, mm-hmm. and ankles as we age, which can lead to heart disease, cancer, and, you know, Alzheimer's and also osteoporosis, uh, you know, those osteoarthritis, rather, those are directly linked now to, to inflammation. In- inflammation. So caffeine helps keep the inflammation in your body to a minimum. You know, everybody's talking about, oh, my gosh, how much coffee are you drinking? But it, coffee's a plant, A, it's natural, and, uh, and B... It, you know, if they're processed, what? It's not a plant? Well, I mean, it, is it's a a plant. Bean. It's a bean. It, you know, it is a plant, but you could say that about a lot of things. I mean, heroin is a plant, too. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey. Yeah, and yeah. Well, they're both fantastic. No, <laughs> heroin's not fantastic. But, but, but yes, to your point, it, 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 it's a plant. It's not, look, caffeine, people like to give me a hard time because I absolutely love coffee. I mean, people are like, oh, don't you want to quit your caffeine addiction? I don't want to quit my caffeine addiction. No, I, I, wake I up love my to caffeine it. addiction. Yeah. Uh, it's, what gets me out of bed in the morning is, is not the idea of spending time with my children. It's the, it's the <laughs> idea of spending time with my cup of coffee. Well, you don't want to wake up and spend time with your children because you're, you're, these are children that just woke up. Right. You want to yeah. give, give them a chance to warm up a little bit. But also my coffee is there waiting for me, and that, that, that's my priority. 
All right, so you have a friend. We have time for one more piece, right? Sure, yeah. yeah. You, you have a friend, uh, Kai, who is one of those guys, uh, and there's actually your brother-in-law. I got a lot of people. Is, is, uh, is another one of these guys, too, who has figured out how to hack the whole points thing with travel. Tra- travel hacking or, uh, or churning, they call it. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay, churning because you get a credit card and then you cancel, then you get another credit right. card. and you get all of the bonus miles. That and that's be, it. Yeah, yeah, that would be churn. Uh, well, um, that, that has become very popular. It is. And, and, and as that's become popular and as booking travel online has become more popular, everybody thought that travel agents were sort of a vestigial uh, organ, right. a dying breed. But now 60% of travel agents saw an increase in bookings just this past year because of millennials. Mm-hmm. They're using travel a- a- agents at a greater rate because now they're like, well, we don't want just the airfare cookie cutter thing. We want right. an experience. And one of the most popular experience um, is uh, Pravasa.com. That's this, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an online travel agent uh, uh, company. But it, it, so uh, Pravasa means, in Sanskrit, means journey. Mm-hmm. So this company designs custom itineraries right. focusing on practicing yoga and meditation uh, at ancient temples and in Bali or India. And then if you love, this, this would be for me, if you love food, right, there's also one called saltandwind.com. They offer these culinary travel experiences. You would love this, right? right. So you, you're exposed to as many different foreign foods in as many different countries as you can handle. Right. Well, okay, so here, here's the deal. That's how the travel agency is changing. Well, look, travel agencies used to be the only way to book your hotel and your— and I think this is actually a good sign for all of the companies that have been— all of the industries that have been uh, eviscerated or, or made brought to the margins by, by the Internet, by the egalitarianness of the Internet— Look, used to be that was their bread and butter was just booking standard stuff for people, and and they would also offer on, right. as an up, upgrade these sort of custom itinerary trips that you're talking about. But what happened was the bread and butter, the easy stuff, started getting done by the websites, and now they have to innovate and find a way to make themselves uh, uh, recession proof to make themselves make themselves important in the in the current economy. The other thing about it is people have figured out how to game these websites. You know, all of a sudden you're on an airline that charges you a dollar ninety nine to use the restroom, and you realize, gosh, all the money I <laughs> saved by going on the website, I'm losing right now because I have to pay for oxygen in the cockpit. Or, you know, yeah. and so uh, when when you've been burned enough times by websites, or you go to a hotel that is just the pictures online were were angled perfectly so that it looks like it's an amazing hotel experience, and you just realize you overpaid for a a, a mediocre uh, motel experience. Not there's anything wrong with the motel experience. I'm just saying if you're pay, you know you want you want to get what you pay for. So I feel like uh, that the people have been burned enough by these by these online travel bookings, um, which are great and a great way to get yourself into a into a city uh, for very cheap or on a trip for very cheap and and a great way to navigate your your way through towns. I love them, but at the same time, if you've only got two, one week or two weeks of vacation a year and you are going to go to a place you've never been before, you don't want to waste all of your miles on a trip that's going to be terrible. Yeah. You got to go to an expert who will make sure and somebody you can call and say, "Hey, this hotel is not what you said it was. Make it right." You can't I can't call up a website and say, "Hey, Hotwire, make it right." Because I because I right. I got what I paid for. Right. Yeah, that's really well said. Hey, let's uh, let's do the quick review on here. Uh, if you want to make a tough decision, uh, opposites. A, a, a polar opposites, closing your eyes, 
and then having to pee, right? Drinking yeah, a lot of water. Drink a whole bunch of water because when you're holding your urine will make you make a better decision. Uh, also, uh, a biological anthropologist Helen Fisher says after you're swiping 10 people, your brain's going to go into overload. Yeah, we've uh, turned human beings into right. commodities, and it's not good. Right. The most productive hours of the day, according to Dr. Josh Davis, are between 4 and 6 a.m. We've, Absolutely. we've tested that ourselves. Absolutely. I, I, um, every day that I don't get up during those hours is a day I regret. I regret that. Um, what else? Oh, oh, if you want to drop pounds. Cook at uh, home. Cook at home more often, five times a week. We just did the travel agent thing where there are more sort of bespoke travel uh-huh. uh, opportunities now. And then the um, coffee pieces. So, yeah, the so, coffee pieces. So one is there's a coffee out there that's been chewed up by monkeys. Give it a try. It's very expensive, but it's worth trying. It's a one-off experience. And the other is when you're, you know, Aunt Margaret starts giving you a hard time about how many cups of coffee you've had, you can tell her you're staving off Alzheimer's mm-hmm. because you are, because coffee is good for preventing inflammation. And caffeine just feels good. Yeah, my my I, I don't have an aunt Margaret, but I have an aunt Amagene. Yeah, who's like ninety three years old. Does she drink coffee? I don't think she does anything. I mean, she's the only member of the family, basically one of the only members of the family that, that has survived. They're all you know, all everybody went out because of uh, too much smoking and drinking yeah. and everything. And she's never she never had a cigarette, never smoked, and and I'm pretty sure uh, that's it. I mean, that's it. Uh, <laughs> no coffee. Either. What's the point? Where, where's the life in there? If you're not going to have coffee. Right? Yeah. Well, she's, uh, I mean, she's sharper than I am. That's yeah, sure. yeah. Oh, one more a bonus piece, by the way. Uh, this is great for, for me and Connie, who are both grandparents. Uh, Boston college found that, uh, the fix for depression is calling your grandparents. Oh yeah. It reduces the, uh, the risk of depression, uh, for both grandparents and, and the grandchildren. Um, a 20 year study tracked more than 300, grandparent and grandchild couples over the course of the study, those who maintain close emotional connections with their living grandparents were less likely to experience symptoms of depression. Well, it's, you know, it's all the love of parenting with none of the like authoritarian stuff. It's, grandparents are just the love. They're just the love. And that's, that's got to be good for your heart. And that's got to be good for your soul. It makes a lot of sense. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening uh, and watching. Uh, that's it for our show today. If you like the podcast or you want to check out the podcast, it's uh, it, it, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Please rate, comment, and subscribe. It really helps us move up in the in the uh, in the search rankings. If you would like to follow up with us, uh, or would like to learn, or would like to tell us what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on Facebook, you can find John at facebook.com/slash John Tesh. That's where a lot of the activity goes on. I'm on there a bit too. You can find me facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or on Twitter at John Tesh at Gib Gerard. Put a link to both of those in the show notes. Also on Instagram, John Tesh underscore IFYL or just at Gib Gerard. Thank you guys again for watching and, um, and, and, and listening. And we, we appreciate it. We do this because you exist. We wouldn't do this if you didn't exist. So keep existing. I don't know. If the world came to an end, I think we'd probably still do it. Just, just be in just a bunker. To have, just to have something like, to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See ya.